0: That's all Jim Duggan. If you want to find out what's going on, check out Nostalgia
1: Highway, right fellas? Right here you hole, guys. Coming to you from somewhere along the Ohio-West Virginia border, welcome, hitchhikers, to Nostalgia Highway. The movies you know from the guys you don't or the No Frills Movie Review Podcast, where we are bringing to you the movie that made me stop wanting my steaks and hamburgers, cooked medium rare.
0: Oh, man, I had a good medium rare today. It was mostly yeah, rare. Yeah, I know.
1: Uh, yeah, it looked very rare. Yeah. Yeah, I'm telling you, it, that opening diner scene it just hearing them like scarfing down their food and just seeing the bloody pool that his steak sitting it it just i don't know it really buddy i intentionally tested that today to see if your theory
0: worked on me and it did not didn't (laughs) faze me a bit i finished that movie and i made a four minute burger
1: you're like you know it sounds good almost cooked meat (laughs) (laughs) oh man Well, I'm your host, the mayor, Matt Logston, and joining me for episode 52 out here on the highway is my co-host, who knows that any time is a good time for a bourbon break and that you can never have too much bourbon in your bourbon.
0: It's always good to have bourbon in your bourbon. I'm big, (laughs) king of the road.
1: All right, hitchhikers. Tonight, we have for you, for episode 52, Ravenous from 1999. Captain John Boyd has had a rough go of things lately. First, he allows his own troops to be slaughtered by the enemy while he plays dead. And in doing so, he ends up downing a blood smoothie courtesy of a superior officer that's piled on top of him. He ends up gaining superhuman strength to overtake the enemy single-handedly, making him a war hero. Well, all that got Boyd was an unceremonious trip to desolate Fort Spencer, California, which was actually Slovakia, west of the Sierra Nevada Mountains in the dead of winter. There, we are introduced to a motley crew of characters the disinterested Colonel Hart, the drunken Major Knox, the overambitious Private Reich, the Bible-thumping Private Toffler, and the Cheech and Chong of the Bunch, Private Cleves and George, and George's sister Martha. Now wouldn't you know it, after all that's happened, Captain Boyd now has a slight pension for the rarest of all meats, human flesh and blood. Now bring in Colquhoun, a stranger who's a wolf in sheep's clothing that comes up upon the isolated fort late one night, harboring a dark secret that Boyd is all too familiar with. Can Boyd save the day or will Colquhoun's devious ways prove to be too effective overpowering Boyd's attempted efforts of redemption? Well, Ravenous is rated R has a runtime of an hour and 41 minutes. It debuted in Canada on January 1st, 1999, and it premiered in the United States on March 16th, 1999 and had a full release in the United States, Three days later, it was on an estimated $12 million budget, and it grossed a whopping total of just over $2 million. I Ouch. was actually a small part of that $2 million box office take, because I did see this in the theaters. It was one of the first movies I saw uh, in the theaters when I was down in Jacksonville after I was stationed down there, and... I didn't really know what I was getting into when I went to go see this, but it was just kind of one of those I wanted to go see something, it didn't really matter what and that was the next thing that was showing and I'm like in you know. And ever since that first time seeing it in theaters, I've been captivated by this odd movie.
0: I didn't know what I was getting into this on the third viewing of it. I mean, it's one of those movies (laughs) there's so so much to unpack, you know, after a little bit. After two passes, you, you've got it down to where, you know, by the third time. All right, it's starting to make sense now.
1: Yeah, I could see where watching it multiple times because the first time I seen it, I mean, yeah, I, there were some moments that were I thought were humorous. But after watching it this most recent time, like to me, the dark comedy, it's just it's in your face almost yeah. in every scene, every sequence. It really is. IMDB has this as a seven out of ten. Rotten Tomatoes has this at a forty-eight percent, but the audience score is at seventy eight percent. That is very out of whack.
0: Yeah, it's that's, that's unchristian like conduct. <laughs> I don't I don't appreciate uh, their they're forty eight percent.
1: No, I think that's very low. my well, it's low. I'm not gonna say it's very low, but it's low. This is currently not streaming anywhere for free, but you can be purchased or rented on Amazon Prime for three ninety nine. dollars I think it's 100% worth it. I own it on yeah. DVD. This was directed by Antonia Bird. It stars Guy Pearce as Captain John Boyd. Robert Carlyle as Colquhoun slash Colonel Ives. Jeffrey Jones as Colonel Hart. Neil McDonough as Private Reich. David Arquette as Private Cleves and John Spencer as General Slauson.
0: Man, that's a good now, cast.
1: This is this is a very good cast, um, and I'll tell you, this was the first movie I ever saw Guy Pearson, and then I went on to see him in other things, most notably Memento, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, in my opinion, I mean, I think he's someone that you could consider to be somewhat of an underrated actor, I mean, because everything I've seen him in, he's he's been very good. Sure, yeah. That's more than I can say for David Arquette. He's so hit and miss, but, I mean, I don't know. He's one of those guys that, I mean, if he's in the cast, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, obviously from Scream fame, and, I mean, I enjoyed It's Not a Good Movie, but Ready to Rumble, remember that one? Oh, yeah. I don't know. I like that movie. You know, it's just stupid. eight legged line, freaks. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a guilty pleasure movie, I think.
0: That's fair, I guess. Uh, Yeah, he's good in this. I like David Arquette's character in this.
1: Yes, he's just a stoner.
0: (laughs) And Neil McDonough and Robert Carlyle are two of those faces that when you see them, you're like, what do I know these guys from? And they're really not in anything else. But for some reason, their faces are so familiar, I don't know.
1: Well... This was the first thing that I seen both these guys in, too. And then, um, I mean, and I've actually kind of become a little bit of a Neil McDonough fan because uh, he was good in the Stephen King adaptation that's on Netflix 1922. Mm-hmm. He was uh, Thomas Jane's boss. His daughter was the one that his son knocked up in that. And okay. uh, he, he was also the bad guy in the Walking Toll remake He's he's been in a bunch of different TV shows. Very good actor, Robert Carlyle. I know him outside of this uh, from the sequel to what was it? Was it twenty eight weeks mm-hmm. later, twenty eight days later, whatever the okay. sequel is. Okay, um, but yeah, th- this is a, this is an exceptional cast. It really is.
0: I guess Neil McDonough kind of reminds me of uh, Ray Liotta. Maybe that's why I'm mixing his face up, thinking I've seen him in other stuff. He's got that a Ray Liotta.
1: A blonde-haired, blue-eyed Ray Leota Wow. Wow. Actually, that's... Oh, well, I didn't
0: mean to wow you, but I just thought it was... Well, no.
1: I mean, maybe no, why you know, I'm mixing them of... up. He, he does play, a, a, typically, a pretty intense guy, and he's a pretty intense guy in this movie. Yeah. So, no, that works. I never thought... That's... Yeah, good call, man.
0: He seems like he could be uh, Ray Liot stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeffrey Jones, I can't take him serious anymore after... Knowing what he's done in real life.
1: Yeah, definitely. But he's it been, he, there's so many things that I grew up watching. I know. You know, Howard the Duck, Beetlejuice. You know, this is another one, The Devil's Advocate that we reviewed last year. I mean, just... Ferris Bueller. Tons of stuff. Ferris Bueller, absolutely. Even uh, the one John Ritter movie, was a Stay Tuned? Yeah. he Get Sucked in the TV? I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, spoilers, of course, as usual. Oh, shoot, I think we already spoiled it. A little bit, maybe. That's all right. Listeners should know what's up by now. I think the one thing that we, I I just want to start off, because it's one of the first things that just smacks you in the face with this movie, is talk about this score that we get from Damon Albarn and um, Michael Nyman. Albarn founded the pop alternative band Gorillaz and wrote a lot of their songs, and he is the lead singer for Blur. You know, remember them? They were kind of a one-hit wonder. They had that "Woohoo, when I feel happy metal" oh, back man. in the late '90s. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I had that on a mixtape once.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not twice tape. though. Not twice.
1: Not twice. It didn't that's show a up in in the... It's 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 a good little song. All right. <laughs> but no, that's who he is. But. The, Michael Nyman, he, uh, he founded the Foster Social Orchestra, and, uh, he did that in an attempt to create a postmodern avant-garde sound with using artists with backgrounds other than music to perform the works of Stephen Foster, uh, in an untrained way. And, uh, Nyman himself is actually a three-time Emmy nominee, and he also composed the scores for Gattaca and the Piano. But, uh, I think this is one of the most unique and interesting scores to a movie that I think I've ever heard. It it is just, it is completely different. I mean, it's very folky, but it's like haunting. It's weird. It is, like I said, it is, you you hear like the first few notes. And if you've seen this movie, you know exactly where it's from. Like, without a doubt, you know exactly. As soon as you hear that, you know, you just know. Yeah, it but takes you on
0: I, a trip. It takes you on a trip of different uh, emotions too. I mean, you got quirky, comedic yeah. style music. You know, like the bluegrass yes. shit when they're giddy up and through the woods.
1: Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess I could say I adore this the score to this movie because it's so. I don't know. It's so fitting. I mean, it is one of the most fitting scores I think you could have for a movie that is as odd. I mean, just a. It's a perfect marriage. I think. So, I mean, you, you're a thumbs up on it. I am. Like the
0: this? the the thing that stood out is when he goes on his uh, – when Boyd goes on his journey of discovering himself, I think the track is called Boyd's Journey on the soundtrack. But it's it's got like that Greasy Strangler vibe, that like quirky – you know, like weird, yeah. almost uh, the Chariot of Pumpkins kind of sound.
1: Uh, okay. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's weird.
1: Yes, it doesn't this really. This movie's f- weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it just—it almost doesn't fit. But then you kind of just grow to accept it, and you're like, okay, that's the that's the journeyman traveling theme of Boyd, I guess, you know. Yeah. Right, so I have a favorite line in this movie that comes pretty early uh, when Colonel Hart is first being introduced to John Boyd. He's showing him, you know, telling him the the ropes of the right of the camp here and everything. And, kind of he he said a line in that that made me think of you and your preparation for this no. it's, it's tedious, I know, but this place thrives on tedium yeah amen When he said that I was like that's Matt <laughs>
1: that's <laughs> hilarious uh I'd have to say honestly, I mean any of the conversation that was between Carlisle and Pierce, I thought was really good um. I think the uh, monologue that Colhoun gave after he was rescued by the group and was taken inside, and he started to recount his story about what happened to his traveling party, that was awesome. Yeah. It was haunting. It was super well done by Robert Carlyle. I love, I love that monologue. It's it's might be my favorite part of the movie. But some of the favorite lines they all have to do with bourbon. And it's when Colonel Hart says, like, ah, time for a bourbon break. And then when he's introducing Boyd, you know, to the, you know, every doing the rundown of everybody at the camp. And he was talking about uh, who was it, Major Knox, saying that he had too much bourbon in his bourbon. And then after uh, Toffler got hurt and he's laying there getting tended to, and he's like, I would very much like some of that bourbon. And then sometimes goes by, and he's like, "Bourbon now!" <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I love that. Uh, this is great. Um, doesn't doesn't uh, Hart offer
0: Lloyd some bourbon that is from one of the guys that's passed out? It's Knox, like, "Yeah."
1: No, he's like, "Would he mind?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and the next thing you see, they're just they're pouring, pouring bourbon. Yeah, there's there's a lot a lot of bourbon going on, flowing around in this movie, but. Uh, in addition to gratuitous nods to Bourbon, there's some gratuitous headbutting here towards the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, the scene when Major Knox comes in and he headbutts Boyd, and then he throws that haymaker and knocks him out, and he's saying, you know, this one's for, uh, who was it, uh, Cleves, and then this one's for my horses, and they knocks him out. That was pretty badass. Dude, he came in like a beast, you yeah. know? Um, and then in the final battle between uh, Ives was Colhoun and uh, Boyd, they go back and forth. just kind of like like old school wrestling style where they just headbutt each other just back and forth one right after another. And I was just like, man, there's not enough headbutting in, in movies anymore. You know, it made me really like that.
0: There's not enough gratuitous falling through trees and down a hill either.
1: Well, uh, there was a lot of that. Oh my God. Yeah, it it almost seemed like it was a little too much, you know? Like, maybe they should have cut it down, like, cut it down in half, perhaps. But right. I would say that was the most, I mean, outside of just the, the Wendigo mythos, that was the most unbelievable thing about the movie, I think. Yeah, I suppose. And if I'd have to give, uh, uh, and that's a ding. It absolutely is a ding. But still, I think I chalk it up to, because Boyd has done what he has done. I feel like even though maybe he's not quite at full strength as he was, I still feel like some of that's still coursing through his veins, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I guess that's where I kind of, I don't know. I justify that. Yeah. A little excessive.
0: I liked how uh Calhoun makes the little looney tunes jumping off the cliff noise after he falls. Is a,
1: yes it's great dude robert (laughs) carlisle it's pretty great in this he really is his little freak out at the cave when they first get back here and he's got doing the hand gestures and stuff towards toffler and Mm -hmm. like it's like what the hell is he doing and he starts going over there like he's just like a like he's feral yeah and he just starts digging through the dirt and you're like what the hell is this guy doing right now like what is happening that scene was tense that yeah. uh, when they first come up there and, and he starts freaking out, I I really enjoyed that scene too. It's very good. Yeah,
0: he's got those little dark uh, beady eyes too that just yes, I don't know Weasley.
1: Like, yeah, very rodent like. Just yeah. he, he just doesn't look like he could be trusted.
0: Right. Yeah. Like uh, uh, Genghis Khan from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure.
1: Oh, Owl uh, yeah. Jung.
0: Yeah, you can't trust him. Not in a fucking sporting goods store. Nope. I can tell he's by the, looking at him.
1: He's one of the greatest 80s henchmen of all time.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's badass.
1: All right, so the Wendigo. What is it? What's it all about? What do you know about the Wendigo, Dave? Other than I mean, just what's brought up in this movie? Pet cemetery. Okay. And it's lightly touched on in that, I felt. Yeah. Um It's actually a mythological creature or evil spirit from the folklore of the First Nations Algonquin tribes. It's actually a part of the traditional belief system of a number of Algonquin-speaking tribes. And although many of the descriptions can vary, uh, common to all these cultures is the view that the Wendigo is a malevolent, cannibalistic, supernatural being. They were strongly associated with the winter, the north, coldness, famine, and starvation. It's seen as the embodiment of gluttony, greed, and excess. It's never satisfied after killing and consuming just one person, and they're constantly searching for new victims, which that describes Colquhoun perfectly. It's almost, it's it's kind of like a, like a quickening, you know, from the Highlander. It's like once you eat the flesh of another man, you kind of absorb, you know, everything that that person was. You know, mind, body, and soul—just everything—and yeah. uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, little folklore tale, like Shang Tsung from uh, Mortal Kombat. Your soul is mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. He's a yeah, windiga. Um,
0: I never knew that motherfucker maybe. was a windiga.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think it, it was.
0: Out. It checks out. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think so. It's interesting because uh, I always, you know because obviously the Donner Party, that story is very much an influence on this movie, and uh, especially with Colquhoun's backstory. There's a lot of beliefs that feel the Wendigo came about, the story of the Wendigo came about as a kind of a, uh, you know, don't you do it, resort to cannibalism if you get stranded out in the winter with your traveling party, because, you know, that's, it happened, you know, and it was just that beware, don't do this. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad you looked into that because I never would have thought to look into that for us. Okay, about the Windy Ghost.
1: But no, I just I wanted to touch on it just a little bit. One thing I really appreciated about this was the aspect that both Boyd and Colhoun slash Ives knew all about what the other was all about. Mm-hmm. You know, after everything was all said and done, at what happened at the cave. And uh, Boyd pushed all of his chips in and had everything to lose when he demanded that I have showed off his shoulder to the others after he shot him. And Boyd just underestimated how quickly the regeneration and recovery would take. I think that's a very impactful scene in this movie, and it really lays down the foundation for this final showdown that's to come between these two. And I, I just the dynamic between those two, it was so interesting. It was very, there was almost like there was a mutual respect, but it was like, you knew we have to kill each other. You know, there was no situation where these two were going to be able to coexist. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. It was pretty easy to predict they were going to end this way. I mean,
1: right it was just a matter of how what yeah. method yeah so i i have a question then would you have accepted if you were boyd would you have accepted ives's offer of joining him as this duo of virtually invincible cannibal army officers or would you decline oh well, no that's a that's a strong decline okay yeah i mean yeah i'm with boyd i mean no and not only no I'm going to eat you.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I think might have been tempted in that last scene as Boy Doe to take, you know, take, ingest, you know, the Wendigo. Just enough to get out of the
1: situation. Yeah, yeah, I mean. I wondered. I wondered if he would. Did you? Because I I definitely was left like, I mean, because it was brief, but it was just like, is he going to do it? You know? But then he just, you know, expires and that's that. But no, I the dynamic between those two after they're back at Fort Spencer, I, I really enjoy that whole, I mean, just the scene where everybody's, you know, in the one cabin and Ives just gets up and everybody's just like on point immediately yeah. just because he moved. And I, I don't know that it that's the way that whole last part of the movie played out. It was so tense and I enjoyed it so much because Carlisle and Pierce just owned it. Absolutely owned it. So good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about the the big bear trap, the oversized bear trap. That was kind of what the fuck spot for me.
1: I don't know. I kind of feel like I mean, is that the best kill we've ever seen in a movie with a bear trap?
0: I mean, if it would have caught him in a more, like, you know, like, torso, you know, spot, I mean, I could have been more convinced. I mean, it got Boyd right in, I
1: mean, it had Boyd right in the center of the back.
0: I suppose. It seemed kind of low.
1: It was, it was a different choice. It was unexpected. I Because of the uniqueness of it, I appreciated it. I thought it was neat. Yeah, okay. Could have been better, sure.
0: I think if it would have got caught in a, you know, kind of cattywampus and it actually cut through both of their bodies, you know, firmly, I might have been a little more into it.
1: Well, I actually have, uh, when we get to our behind the scenes segment, uh, I have a reason why, possibly, why that didn't happen, but we'll get to that. But no, I see what you're saying though. I, I do get it. It's it's very unconventional, and I don't know that it was necessarily delivered the best way. But I felt like it was done in such a way that it was it was sufficient. Okay. It was satisfying enough, to me at least.
0: So how shocked were you when uh Colonel Hart rolls back into town?
1: It was definitely one of those like, What
0: Drenched in blood. Yeah. He just at a feast. Yep. Yeah. The fucking just guy. He just ate,
1: uh, ate Cleaves. Yeah.
0: He probably, yeah, he was I, pretty jubilant after he ate Cleaves, too. He probably got a contact buzz from eating right. Cleaves with all that peyote and yep. other bullshit he was smoking.
1: Right. Wacky weed. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, there's no way anyone saw that. Twist of Colonel Hart coming back. Nobody saw that. Okay, no. it, it was it was disguised very very well, and I really appreciated that. I really like that. That that is one as far as what the end result of the movie ended up and needed to be, but it was a really nice twist on this movie that I don't know it. I don't know. It was nice. It was a nice little yeah. just think cherry on the top for me
0: yeah that's fair because
1: i I appreciate a good twist i like it
0: yeah yeah and there's no way you can predict him coming back
1: yeah catch me off guard i love it absolutely do you like pro wrestling
0: yeah are you tired of the same old recap podcasts? uh duh. duh do wrestling fans confuse you More than you will ever know.
1: Well, you're in luck. Join me, Mike J. And me, Mike S., every Saturday for the Drive-By Wrestling Podcast. Each week, we
0: break down the ups and downs of main roster WWE
1: and try to explain online fan outrage. And of course, we have the Wednesday Night War between NXT and AEW covered from our unique viewpoints. That's the Drive-By Wrestling Podcast every Saturday on iTunes, Spotify,
0: and everywhere podcasts are found. Still breaking hearts and breaking kayfabe. Uh, I guess that is what we say. It is.
1: Well, I have a few behind-the-scenes things here. Okay. First one, two weeks into production, Yugoslavian director Milko Manchevsky was fired. Yep. Fox's first choice for replacement director was Raja Gosnell. Now, this guy was the director of the direct-to-video sequel Home Alone Home 3. Alone, yep. Big Mama's House. And uh, both atrocities that we all know is the live action Scooby-Doo movie starring Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar, as well as both CGI live action Smurf movies starring Neil Patrick Harris and Hank Azaria. The cast mutinied against the guy, apparently, and was just like, this guy is not the right person for this movie, basically just said, we're not going to work for this person. And I'll be honest with you. They were right. They were right. So uh, Robert Carlyle, he ended up reaching out to uh, Antonia Bird to step in, and uh, they had a previous working relationship when they did a movie called Face and uh, Priest. She would actually go on to criticize the filming circumstances, describing the studio space as horrible and that the scheduling of the shoot was manipulative. Uh, Bird also went on to say that Manchevsky shouldn't be blamed for the problematic production uh Bird actually passed away sadly in 2013 from thyroid cancer. So,
0: this was her coup de grâce, man. This was I agree.
1: Definitely yeah.
0: Definitely her best work.
1: I agree. It was it, it definitely sounded like the production and the filming of this movie was an absolute mess. Right. And if I if I understand correctly, I think the the bane of all this was the uh who was the production manager of this? It was Laura Ziskin from Fox 2000, she basically, from everything I understand about this, she just made everything difficult, complicated. She was the one that wanted Gosnell to direct, and uh, yeah, so she's partially to blame for any disjointedness of this movie, I think. Uh, It took 25 minutes before Boyd, who's nearly in every scene in this movie, to say his first full sentence. And according to Robert Carlyle's DVD commentary, Guy Pierce, who was a vegetarian, went through multiple takes of him eating the Knox stew, which was actually a, a lamb stew prepared by the caterers. I guess he would chew the large chunks of meat and then he would spit them out as soon as Bird would call cut. So the end fight scene was choreographed by Pierce and Carlyle themselves the original script had an ending where it was the, both of them on top of the roof of the cabins at night while they were on fire. This ended up getting scrapped in favor of them. Just basically beating the shit out of each other. And during the filming of this part, they actually ran out of blood. So they had no fake blood on set. So I kind of feel like maybe that might be part of the reason why the bear trap finale was filmed. The way it, was. it is, what it is, you know. Uh, okay. Maybe they wanted to do more, and they just they couldn't. They didn't have the resources. Okay. I don't know. out. Uh, I don't know,
0: man. Other yeah. than that, I mean, this was such a shit out of the dark, you know, epic movie almost, and especially yeah. with all the trouble that had, you know, in production, it just surprised me.
1: Right. Yeah, I, like I said, it was. It's one of those really kind of obscure movies, but like when you come across somebody that's seen it, most of the time, it's. I, I feel like for the most part, it's been pretty well received. You know, like I feel like it's it's coming around to where it's finally starting to find yeah. its audience.
0: Uh, Antonia Bird had vowed not to work with Hollywood again after she did Mad Love. I don't know if you ever saw that. It had uh, Drew Barrymore in it. It was supposed to be a dark take on uh, addiction and, you know, suicidal thoughts and I stuff. I think I
1: know what you're... Okay, I th- I'm aware of yeah. that movie. i never well, seen it. Okay. I know what you're talking about, though. Okay.
0: Hollywood made her change it to a more softened, lighthearted comedy, you know, theme, mm-hmm. and kind of ruined her vision. And she wasn't going to do anything else in America, but...
1: She actually said that the final theatrical cut of this movie had elements that were introduced that were without her approval and she expressed her uh, disdain over the voiceover narration and she was very much interested in recutting the movie for the European market, but I guess it just never happened. So, yeah, yeah it definitely sounds like she was uh, she was jaded with uh, the Hollywood machine, and that's unfortunate because... Uh, I, I'm not familiar with any of her other works, but obviously I am with this movie, and it's unfortunate because this sure. this was a very enjoyable movie, and it's a shame that it didn't end up doing any better than what it did because yeah. I, I I feel like this is one of the more underrated, undervalued movies of the 90s in my personal opinion. So
0: what's your final thoughts on this? Give me questions or input before we go to wrap up.
1: The only thing I'd want to kind of touch on is something that you briefly mentioned when we first started off is about, you know, upon doing multiple rewatches, picking up on some of the, you know, small subtleties that's in this. And um, just kind of thinking about how strong you would have to be if you were Boyd to crawl out from underneath that heaping pile of dead bodies you know, like, that just, that, the, the, you couldn't do it, there's no way, there's no, I don't care how strong you are, you're, you could be the strongest son of a bitch in the world, you're not crawling out from underneath there, it's just not gonna happen, I mean, literal, dead weight, thousands of pounds on top of you, you know, and you're laying down, you're pinned, you know, Yeah. and, uh, you know, talking about like with uh, when Boyd first gets his Fort Spencer and he's talking to uh Colonel Hart and he ends up Hart takes that huge book and to smash the walnut to break it open because he couldn't get it. Mm. And then after Hart makes his, you know, return Resurrection. Yeah, and uh he's talking to Boyd again he has a walnut in his hand and he just crumbles it in his own, in his bare hand, you know, just little subtleties like that. Just, I, I, I really, I really like that. Uh, I, I just feel like those are some of the more shining moments in this movie, I think, but yeah, this is a good movie.
0: Oh, with Boyd being piled under all them bodies, he was just taking in all this fucking seeping down blood from all these slain victims. Right. And it's, you know, he says he can feel it in his lungs filling with the blood dripping down him so he's you know he's getting a yeah. pretty big ingestion of he's
1: getting a big gulp
0: yeah he's getting a big gulp <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's it yeah No, it's yeah, but, it, it just it just shows you how powerful this entity of the Wendigo really is and I don't know it's it's impressive I don't think it's neat
0: I mean I felt like his siege of the uh, enemy you know, quarters was pretty lame. He just walks up, you know, knocks a dude out and takes his gun. And boom, he's in the right place at the right time.
1: If I'm not mistaken, I think that those scenes were filmed by the original director, Minchevsky, if I'm not mistaken. Uh. So, because I, I kind of felt like it... It, did, it It was it was different, but this was also Boyd pre-Wendigo, yeah. you know, so I don't know. Sure. But yeah, I agree. I kind of thought that, you know, it wasn't. Super impressive, but. Eh. Yeah. Not a huge budget they were working with and they were overseas. Well, oh, those you- scenes were actually filmed in Mexico, but still. Well, you want to hear my rating on this? i I do. I really do. I'm really curious because uh, I, I feel like you liked this movie more than I expected you to. Really? Yes. Well, I don't know and how that you couldn't. Excites me.
0: I don't know how you couldn't like this movie. It's really a masterpiece. In my, I, I, I think it's like a an epic <laughs> tale. It's like a Tarantino wow. size movie. That's what it feels like. Wow. Uh, okay. And it's got that western vibe. It's I don't know. I really liked it, uh, oh, yeah. but it basically—I mean, this movie basically has floated under the radar for a long time, and a lot of people haven't seen it. It's a good one to recommend. It'd be hard to convince somebody to go out and buy this first time because it really is—it's a tough sell. You just have to see it. But
1: yeah, it's an oddball.
0: I definitely recommend it as a rental for first viewing. But yeah, it's almost—it's almost like I said—it's—it's it's a Tarantino-style movie. It's got like an indie feel but polished. Um, for being such a troubled production, I just think they turned out an amazing movie with a really good cast. And I don't know if this is a movie you could ever remake. I wouldn't.
1: Doesn't doesn't need, need,
0: need it. Yeah, I wouldn't need it. <laughs> it's, it's good as is. Yeah, it's very rewatchable. I mean, it, it's a movie that I think grows with experience. Uh, again, about about the third time, you're like, okay, you know, you catch the little subtle humor. Yeah, he appreciate it more each time. So, and it's a this is a good movie to watch Snowden if you're on a on a day off of school from snow like like I was when I watched this. Perfect yep. timing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, it is.
0: Uh, yeah, this is a nine out of ten for me.
1: Wow. Yeah, th- you like this way more than I thought you would, man. Hell yeah. Well, when you were throwing out words like epic and masterpiece, I'm like, oh man. Like, I think you might like this more than me. It's damn good, dude. Okay. Oh well, yeah, yeah, dude. That's awesome. Hell yeah.
0: But I mean the ending was the only thing that really kept this from achieving a ten for me. I I think if it had a an oh. ending that satisfied me better, I mean this was this is a damn good movie and it's rewatchable. It's Yeah. Very high Hell on yeah. this one. Good selection, Matt.
1: Well, you can tell immediately from the very opening of this movie with the quotes that you get, that this movie is going to be thick with yeah. dark humor. And it is. And it was completely lost on moviegoers during during the spring of 1999. This is a very odd, very strange movie that didn't find its audience until it was released on home video and for purchase. It's one part Wendigo mythos, one part Western comedy, one part Donner Party with a sprinkling of vampiric tones a little bit. Um, I've Like I said, I've always enjoyed this one. Exceptional performances from an exceptional cast. Uh, of course, I love the setting of the snowy isolation that this gives us, very much like the edge that we did back on episode 33 and John Carpenter's The Thing from uh, episode 34. And, uh, you know, Pierce, Carlisle, and Jones, I mean, they... They carry this movie all the way for me. It's beautifully shot, has that most unique score that cements itself into your brain. It's one of the darkest comedies I think I've ever seen. I'm at an 8 out of 10 on this. Mm-hmm. I From the time I saw this in theaters, it was one of those, like, I don't really know what this movie... I mean, I understood what happened. I got, you know, I understood what was happening, but I didn't... Like, what is this movie? You know, what is this score? What is the, And it, it was one of those that when I finally it came out and I was able to buy, I bought it. And it's 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 one of the oldest DVDs that I own. And yeah. uh, it's it's always been a personal favorite of mine. It's been one of those very under the radar. Not a lot of people have heard about it or if they have heard about it, they've passed on it. And, uh, no, I agree. This is, uh, this is, uh, something that I think you need to shuffle up towards the top of your watch list. If you haven't seen this, because it is, this is a, this is an interesting little movie and the performances in it alone, make it worth a watch. It's one of those that I recommend it to people. And on, I found that it, I don't recommend it enough because I almost feel like it's a little too obscure, but now with reviewing it here on the show, uh yeah, cats out of the bag. See this fucking movie, people. If you haven't, yeah. All right, man. Well, hell yeah. Nine out of ten for you, dude. Oh, man. I'm, I'm surprised I'm, you're I'm only obsessed. an eight. I I'm I was figuring you'd give me a ration of shit because I was at an eight. <laughs> I I kind of am. I did not because you're only at an eight. I gave this as no chance of getting the stamp. It got the stamp. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and out. Oh yeah, dude. That's awesome.
0: Hell yeah. need to get on the old text and find out from the Lord catch him if uh if he gives us a stamp.
1: Yeah, i will have to figure that out. See what he's got on this. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is a movie he's probably seen. Oh, oh yeah. This seems like about something might be his uh his speed. <laughs>
0: it's in his alley. Yeah, I agree. I mean it's no psycho cop, but it's it's in that it's, alley.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a psycho cop. I can agree with that. Let's talk about some uh, recent stuff we've watched that it doesn't revolve around uh, the actual reviews of the episodes. Um, um, what you got? Well, one, I actually I got to a little bit ago, but I wanted to bring it up because it, it's worth mentioning. And it is the newest rendition of the Hansel and Gretel tale, and uh, they got creative with it, and they called it Gretel and Hansel from 2020, mm. and it was directed by Osgood Perkins, which, I don't know if you're aware or not, uh, that is Anthony Perkins' kid. Oh, okay. I did. I uh, was not aware. Yeah. Yeah, that's Anthony Perkins' kid. For sure. Um, Does he like Robert Egger films? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like he might. Maybe. Alright. Um, but, just touching on this a little bit, beautifully shot movie absolutely gorgeous without yep. question uh the atmosphere that it brought to this fairy tale world uh was just i loved it absolutely loved it the acting was good i thought actually did you have something you were want to say to that no i was going to say that most of the acting in
0: this sucked but and i, I thought it was i well, thought it was, okay. it was okay it was okay like
1: yeah i mean i like said i thought it was good While it was good, the score to this movie, I didn't. It didn't. It didn't fit. It didn't match this movie at all. It did at certain moments, but when it really started getting into that synth score, where it was like trying to give like '80s vibes, it it really was distracting for me. And it, it almost like it, it pulled me out of this influence I was under with this atmosphere, the scenery everything that was going on in this movie, it just, it took me out of it. And it really affected my rating on this movie. Um, if if I felt like the score, the score matters obviously with me and it carries a lot of weight. And I felt like if the score would have been a little more suitable, this would have been a seven out of 10 for me without a doubt. But I kind of feel like I'm in that six to six and a half out of 10 on this. There's some other hiccups. I have minor hangups. I have, but all in all, uh, I like what they did. They put a little twist on it, but they kept the basic framework of the original story intact, and I appreciated that.
0: I didn't think they did a really great job of keeping intact the original story, but, I mean, that ending was kind of, I guess, I mean, the witch gets burned and the right. oven, kind of. But, I don't know. <laughs> it was It was weird.
1: It was different. I mean, they definitely took some liberties, and and I feel the biggest was the score for me. But I
0: I, I don't feel I feel like you're hung up on that, and I, I didn't see a bit of problem with the score. But okay, that's just my that's just me. I mean,
1: well, and like I said, the score it's good. I like it, but it was, I mean, I'm able to separate that and acknowledge that yes, this is a good score. I, if it was in a movie, it would have been better if it was in a movie that it was. Mm-hmm tonally it would have fit with this I felt like you needed to go with a little bit more of a classical you know more traditional folklore you know type music mm. and and it did in moments but when it didn't and it got you know the synth music started to come in it, it really took me out of it okay but otherwise I, I I do feel like this is worth checking out if you haven't yeah I don't know if this would be something that I would get to on a rewatch super quick, but there, there's definitely it had a lot of things going for it that I appreciated. So visually, it was yeah,
0: it's worth seeing. Stunning. Yeah, I love all the little scenes where the yes. little the little girl with the weird hat, you know, is, yes, is creeping through the woods and
1: yeah,
0: just yes. her silhouette.
1: It's awesome. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah.
0: But that's, that was the selling point for me. I think that's where I got the most enjoyment was just the visuals of it. Right. The, the storytelling and acting I thought was weak. That was my okay. biggest hangout. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm at like a six. I'm at like a six
1: on it. Maybe even nah,
0: five.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we're right there in the same ballpark with it then. Would you say it's worth checking out at least once? Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Have you got anything that you got into here recently?
0: Um, I watched Vivarium today. Okay. From
1: That's another that's another oddball.
0: Yes, it is. Uh yeah, I didn't go into it. I didn't watch the trailer or anything, I just went into it uninitiated. Uh thought, you know, well, Jesse Eisenberg's pretty fun in most of his stuff. He's he's so quirky and weird. Yeah. But uh, you know, he is in this. But yeah, I don't know. It was it was uh, I don't think I'd recommend it to anybody.
1: <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. It's 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 definitely it's it's a weird weird movie. Uh Janelle and I we watched it. No, it's it's been a couple months ago and uh you know, some there were some comedic moments in it. You know, and obviously throughout the entirety of the movie, it keeps you wondering, like, what the fuck is going on? What is what is this place? What are they what do they got to do to you know get out of the situation? And. Uh, but I, I appreciated the unique uh, the uniqueness of it. I like that. Um, I think. I think I'm at like at a six on it, but I'm like maxed out at it on a six. And I feel like it's worth, it's a one timer. It's worth one to watch. Just check it yeah. out. Yeah. Because it is, it's, it is different. Um, I do feel like the performances by Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots, uh her name's hilarious. I can't, I. it's yeah. one of those names. Like when you say, it, you just kind of giggle, but uh, I feel like they were two very strong leads and, you know, Especially with a movie like this, you have to have that, or else it doesn't matter what you're trying to deliver; it's going to be shit. And yeah. uh, I felt like they definitely kept, you know, the movie together for you because of their performances. So,
0: yeah, this and uh, Possessor that you mentioned last week, yeah, um, those two both belong in the Black Mirror universe to me.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I agree. So I got one more that I got to that was actually, it was another uh, King recommendation. And uh, it was from writer director Mick Garris. And it was 2004 Stephen King's Writing the Bullet. Uh, I had this in my 2B watch list for I couldn't tell you how long. And we had a recent conversation talking about uh, movies. And you had mentioned that Writing the Bullet was what was a. the best thing to a Christine sequel, I'm paraphrasing, I I can't remember exactly how you said it, but it was the closest thing to a Christine sequel that you were probably ever going to get. So then that immediately just, bing! Well, I might have been drunk that
0: night, I mean, the time I told you that.
1: (laughs) Well, no, but I definitely, when I watched it, I definitely saw where you're getting, you know, getting at with it, because, you know, you, you do see... You know, you you get a nod to Christine, you get a nod from misery in there too, which sure. I appreciated. But um, I actually thought this was a made for TV movie, but the exposed tits on the nude model in the very beginning proved that to be very much not true, along with all the F bombs that followed with this. But uh I'm worried I'm worried that you're gonna be disappointed by this one. Well, I I was just curious to say This is not a bad little flick, okay? It's not great by any means. I mean, it it has an above-average cast, again, with David Arquette. You get Cliff Robertson in it, Barbara Hershey, Matt Frewer. Um, You know, it it has Stephen King's fingerprints all over it. You know, just details, you know, things like that. And, um, yeah, it does have its shortcomings, but I don't feel like they're enough to really distract you from the story and what you're being shown. Uh, it may be a little inflated because I did enjoy the cast. It was a, you know, pretty straight ahead ghost story, but it was a road story too. You know, uh, I'm at a six and a half on it. That's that's probably pretty fair. I, I th- that was, that was a, that's a solid recommendation, man. I, mm. I, I enjoyed that. That was a fun one. I got to that there one night here, not that long ago. And, had a couple beers and I'm like, you know what? I was scrolling through. I was like, I'm trying to find something to watch, and then I remembered our conversation. I'm like, you know what? i to watch that. Yeah, yeah that was a good one, man.
0: I mean, it's what? one of those that I wouldn't recommend as a high priority if you're new to Stephen King. But if you're a uh, <laughs> a season, yeah. yeah, you're seasons in the Stephen King movies, and there's a you know foray of obscure ones you haven't seen I would put that one pretty high on the list of recommendations for the lower bracket of Stephen King stuff I, I think agree. it's be- it's better than the sometimes they come back you know movies are
1: I've only like s- I, I didn't see any of the sequels I just saw the original one and I think I've only seen it like maybe once or twice I know I saw it when it came out on I think it was CBS on the miniseries and yeah. then i saw it one other time i think i rented it um i mean it was okay but it's been so long since i've seen it so to really compare it with this mm. i i think that'd be unfair but uh no that was that was a nice little movie man that was a fun oh. one and i did i really thought i think the reason why i i sat on it for as long as i did was because i did think i thought that it was a made for tv movie yeah. and no no it's not <laughs> Just a little low budget movie with a, like I said, a really nice cast, and uh, yeah.
0: So mysterious by its absence in the Super Bowl was uh, a new Halloween Kills theatrical trailer. Still yeah. fucking dying for that shit.
1: Yeah, I. There was a small part of me that was just like, maybe, but yeah. I, I felt like it was a long shot. It's like me More watching of a that. long shot of Mahomes coming back to try to win that game.
0: No shit. <laughs> I'm gonna
1: yeah. tell you. No, oh, I'm not going to go into it in depth, but I'm just going to say that was one of the worst Super Bowls I have seen in recent years. That was just so unentertaining from uh just the the gameplay itself, the halftime show.
0: There was a uh, there was one trailer that stood out to me. Did you see the uh Imnon Jamalon trailer for old?
1: It's yes, I nice. did.
0: It's Interesting. Yeah, more, more information required, but
1: you I'm have t- my curiosity. Yeah, I got a taste uh-huh. there. Yeah, it was funny because as soon as that uh, commercial was done, Janelle and I were kind of like, oh, maybe. I don't know, maybe. what do you think? It could be good, could be shit too, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I, it didn't show a whole lot, but I kind of feel like uh, that's something that we've gotten away from, you know, because used to back in the day, trailers didn't show a whole bunch. They, they, when they, when it was a teaser, it was a genuine teaser, you know, nowadays it's just, everything's just overexposed and it's just out there. And when you actually go to see the movie, it's just kind of like, Oh, okay, here's this part coming up that I've seen 57 times on commercials, you know, and it it really, it, it takes away, it ruins that experience and it takes away some of that magic. But, uh, yeah, that, that I feel like that was a that was a proper t- trailer. Definitely has my curiosities up. With Shyamalan, I mean, it, it, it's so hit and miss. It could it could be gold or it could be shit. But uh, at I like, this point, I'm interested.
0: I like that they're exploring an untapped resource, which is uh, fear of getting old. Um, the fear of just being forced to grow old. Super fast, rather than you know, naturally. Right. Kind of like what you see in the Beetlejuice scene, where they're, you know,
1: yeah,
0: at the wedding. There, I mean, they're already dead technically, but as right. a young mind, seeing something horrific happen where you're aging so fast right in front of your face, and then you know your your jaw falls off, you know, right. that kind of thing. I mean, it's unnerving. It is, and it's a it's a good yeah. premise for horror, and it's really been untapped. They really haven't done a lot like that,
1: well, especially so. for some gentlemen of our age, you sure. know, getting up there, you know, kind of looking a square in the eye, <laughs> saying, "Hey, yeah. we're, on, we're on the horizon, buddy.
0: We've crossed you know? the fifty. We've crossed the fifty-yard line, my friend. <laughs> I think
1: <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're I don't know." Well, in football terms, that's the right side of the 50. <laughs> well, maybe for us, maybe that's the wrong side. Yeah.
0: But, here? <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I I agree
1: with you, man. Right? Can we get a 15-yard penalty here? But no, I agree with you. I I The premise of this is very interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm curious. Definitely curious. So yeah,
0: that's that's all I got. Okay.
1: Check out our good friends Justin Ramsey and Aaron Scaletta over at the Raised in Horror, the Psycho Siblings podcast, where they review all things horror all the time. Their most recent release was this last Thursday on the 25th with their review of The Bride of Chucky from 1998. And we are all looking forward to what the Psycho Siblings are doing for March. I can't wait to hear it, but you got to give them a listen. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Raised in Horror. Uh, find them now on your favorite podcasting app, horror movie fans. And if you're a fan of all things Halloween, like the king and I are here, you got to check out this this company. I found them by accident, and it was the happiest of accidents. Uh, you got to check out the Halloween Shirt Company. They have shirts, hats, pins, hoodies, decor, stickers, all kinds of stuff. There's st- it's it's Ace. It it is so awesome if you love the old school retro look of halloween decorations this is the place you need to be um i've already had two orders with them since i think november Um, i bought two awesome shirts and very similar to fright rags if you've placed an order with them you always get some extra goodies in with your bag and, uh, just super cool, just a smaller scale fright rags. I kind of compare them to, they don't do anything with, you know, they don't have like any movie licensing. It's just old school Halloween feels. And, uh, I don't know. I'll probably, maybe I'll take a couple pictures of the shirts I've got and some of the goodies I got and, uh, put them there on our page because it, it, it's awesome. They have some great stuff. Oh Yeah. All right, Hitchhikers, this concludes our review of Ravenous from 1999. We hope you enjoyed our hot takes on this lesser-known cannibal dark comedy. Be on the lookout for new announcements and updates on our Facebook page, Nostalgia Highway Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at HighwayNHP. You can check out our letterbox profiles. The King's is Patriarch1979, and mine is Matlog16. Give us a follow if you want. We'll follow you back. We just love seeing what everybody else is watching. It's just one of the best movie networking apps I've come across. And once again, we want to give recognition and thanks to Sean Jackson and Cody Jones for the theme music they have composed for the show. Join us next time, where NHP goes dumb. How dumb, you ask? How about Dumb and Dumber from 1994?
0: Join us for Buddy
1: Comedy Month next time out on the highway. I'm Dave King of the Road, and I'm your host, the Marimat Logson. And we thank you once again for hitching a ride along with us. And we'll pick you up next time out on the highway.
0: Hmm. Is it Calhoun or
1: Calhoun? Colhoun. Uh, I don't. I don't like it as well. Yeah, it's a weird name, but it's a scot. It's an old Scottish name. Oh, okay. So, also,
0: is Slovakia
1: anywhere near Norwegia? Uh I'm not sure. I didn't look at I it. I just Hmm. Now I'm wishing I did. Yeah. The Norwegia classic, Trojan Hagen,
0: Trojan, Trojan Hagen,
1: Durgan however the hell, Durgan, 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 Durgan,